is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love the playing there. Oh, man, oh, man. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. It's just hitting me right now. Shut up and listen. You, you think you're better than me? <laughs> We're back. We're back. These are incredibly uh, weird times. The coronavirus is, uh, continues to wreak havoc. Um, but I am very grateful to be talking to you, Ben Craw. Um, how's everything going, man? Last time we talked, you were coming to us safely from your in-laws in Connecticut. That's still the case, yeah? Yep. Yes, we are still uh, hunkered down here up in Old Sabre, Connecticut, um, which is lovely this time of year, uh, except uh, you can't actually go anywhere. Um, yeah. Because it's, um, yeah, it. I guess, I don't know exactly. I can't even keep track of like what all the different states are, are doing officially. Right. Um, I think the governor passed down some order slash strong recommendation about like shutting everything down. Um, yeah, I think that the takeaway from this experience, Ben, for me has been like, just don't listen to the government. Like, just listen to your gut in terms of like general safety. It's like. Right. I'm, so that's what I was, that's what I was about to say. Like yeah. beyond any sort of order from any higher authority, um, I, so this past weekend mm-hmm. we actually went to the beach with our son mm-hmm. Teo, and that was nice. Um, obviously, it's too cold to go in the water, but we right. were able to, like, it Just was, like, like sunny. Yeah. So, we walked around. We dug in the sand for a little bit. But there were, like, a pretty good amount of people there. Um, at, you know, this was at, like, a state park. I forget, Hammonasset, Hammonasset, something like that, mm-hmm. um, in Connecticut, uh, along the Long Island Sound. So, there were, like, you know, it's, it's like, the, a good place to go to get fresh air and, like, walk around. And there's a lot of space, so people weren't, like, too tightly packed together right but um it was kind of the first time where i was out in public and i it just felt like even though i was like doing my very best to like enjoy the company of my family and like the nice fresh uh, ocean air all i could think about was like the fact that i felt like i was walking down uh, a, a like a dark street in bushwick at like three in the morning and every person that got within like 10 yards of me i was like oh shit and it's, i would like it's, it's look alarming. at them <laughs> it's like alarming yeah. to see people in like open spaces now just be like yeah what, what are you doing out here i thought i would be the only one that was sneaking out <laughs> right and yeah. it's like i i mean obviously like i i, I mean you know i can't say like people shouldn't thing like we're all like everyone needs mental space everyone needs to see the sun like right like everyone's but, intentions are good but it's just, right but it's almost like people have varying degrees of like how absolutely like, I, i'm not gonna say to people oh you shouldn't be going for walks because i'm going for a walk totally. um but it's still like 
to like anyone who like started walking anywhere like near me i was like what are you doing like there's plenty of space like walk over that way like don't a stranger um, tried to have a conversation with me like on a new york city sidewalk the other day and i was like are are you not aware what's going on like like, yeah like i like ran i was like what why why would you do that and i've like taken it upon myself to be the the grocery store um uh you know sort of adventurer explorer of the family um and it's crazy. I've gone, uh, I don't know, like three times now, I guess, since we've gotten up here. Um, and each time, like the first time I went, I was like, okay, you know, use hand sanitizer uh, before and after you go in the store. Second time, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I really should have brought like some latex gloves with me before I even like coming in here. Third time, I remember the latex gloves. I was wearing them. And it's like each time I go, I'm just getting increasingly more paranoid. Yeah, man. And, um, and again, it's like that thing where there's other people in the store, obviously, um, but some people, you know, like kind of like stop walking when they get like a certain distance. And other people just like kind of keep walking and just kind of like try to like brush past you in an aisle. And you're like, dude, <laughs> like, yeah, don't, no, don't do fucking that. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like literally like, uh, like picking out some bananas at like the fruit uh, stand and... I'm like peeking over my shoulder because I like hear someone maybe behind me. Um, it's really unnerving um, and awful. But um, yeah, I'm sure that's what most people are going through. So in order to um, get our minds off of that, uh, the horrible um, hell world that we are all living in. Yeah. Um, what, what do we have planned for today's episode, Chris? All right, Ben. So the other morning, I think it was Saturday, uh, I obviously had nothing, obviously, really to do. It was just at my home uh, here in Queens, and so I was just bored out of my mind. But specifically, I was, like, bored in a way that couldn't be, like, satiated by just, like, a film or a TV show, which, you know, I've been doing a pretty good job of staying occupied with for the last, mm-hmm. like, week or two. And I specifically needed something that was, like a competitive basketball game. It was something Mm. of a tipping point for me, man. Like I decided with all this free time, with all the incredible resources we have now on the internet, on YouTube, I decided what I really needed at this moment in my life was to go back in time and rewatch one of my favorite basketball teams of all time, the 1993-94 New York Knicks. Man, I love those players. I love the garden. I, way, I, I just love the way that team played. Pat Riley, I love that memory of my childhood, that period in time. So, um, yeah, I dug down a, a YouTube rabbit hole. I decided to not start with uh, the Knicks Pacers playoff series, but rather the series before that, the Knicks mm. Bulls, 1994 Knicks Bulls Game 1. So, Ben, that is what we are here to discuss. We both have rewatched this. Uh, the date, Ben, is Mother's Day, May 8th, 1994. The number two seed, the New York Knicks, are hosting the number three seed, the Chicago Bulls, at Madison Square Garden in New York City. This is the NBA on NBC. The 1994 NBA Playoffs. Today, it's the Chicago Bulls versus the New York Knicks. 
It is a 59 degree, partly cloudy day in the New York City area. And inside, within Madison Square Garden, it is heating up for game one between the Chicago Bulls and the New York Knicks. Along I know the way you to have some insane personal connection to this. I had no idea... I should say, I just decided to watch this game on my own, completely yeah, yeah, yeah. unrelated to you. This is not something we, had we not, discussed. I, we hadn't I planned just started, this together at all. I just started texting you, I think, in the third or fourth quarter, being like, hey, man, like, look what I found. This is crazy. And then you started sharing some personal details of, of your memory of the game. So uh, let's hop into it, man. Talk to me about what this game uh, meant to you, where you were, when you saw it, how what it was like for you. Um, yeah, it's crazy that you picked this game uh, out of the blue. Um, again, t- completely independently of me. We hadn't discussed, you know, obviously we'd thrown around ideas of content for the podcast during this uh, strange time. We were like, oh, we should rewatch some old games. We should you know, do some movie pod, uh, podcasts, whatever. Um, but we hadn't gotten into any sort of specifics. Um, and you know, like, uh, get like a lot of, a lot of basketball podcasts are, are doing this. Um, from what I understand, I don't have time to like listen to any, uh, these days, but, uh, you know, do going back to watch old games and like recap old games. Um, I find that I didn't really have any interest in doing that from like, uh, oh, well, since there's no NBA basketball on, we should go watch some old NBA basketball and, like, kind of analyze it um, because everyone else was sort of already doing that. And I don't I don't know. Like, I don't usually have that much of an urge to go back and watch old games in normal uh, circumstances. Yeah. But in these uh, awful, anxious, terrifying times, it was more like a feeling, an urge to just turn to something that comforted me, which is like kind of what you were getting at, Chris. Like, I just want to watch something that makes me feel happy, whether it's a game or a movie or a TV show or whatever. Like I'm, I'm looking for like a security blanket. (laughs) I'm looking for uh, a a memory of like a simpler, happier time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's sort of what I, what like the 93, 94 Knicks represent to me at this point, more than anything else. It's like not even like podcast content. It's just something that makes me, feel a little bit better yeah 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 <laughs> so um if that wasn't abundantly clear this podcast if nothing else more so than ever right now is just like self-preservation for yeah, us we and are if, doing this <laughs> purely for ourselves if anyone uh, else benefits from this or enjoys this hey that's great but to be clear the objective is clearly just to take care of ourselves ben, yeah yeah, yeah. we are looking out for you and me um <laughs> so um but yeah so it's it's just it's so incredible that you picked this game i mean it, to me this kind of like ranks up there with uh some of the great um otl moments of of you know fate and kismet such as our um our watching of the dame lillard buzzer beater oh, together yeah. Yeah. um i mean our our experience at the live ricky together sure. um but so the fact that you chose this game game one of the eastern conference semifinals in 1994 um it just so happens that that is a game that I attended Insane. as a child. Um, it was the second Knicks game uh, that I had ever been to. The very first game was earlier uh, that regular season against the Bullets. Uh, it was towards the end of the year, uh, a home game against the Bullets in like early April, I think. Um, but so not only did I go to this game, uh, Chris, but I have a pretty crazy story about getting into it, um, or, uh, I should say almost not getting into it. Um, 
So I don't want to take up too much of our time. No, the floor is yours, please. Okay, so the year is 1994. I am 11 years old. Um, I had fallen in love with the Knicks uh, the previous season, uh, uh, towards the end of the 93-93 season, um, and it was actually the series against the uh, the Bulls, the Eastern Conference Finals that year against Jordan's Bulls that I first really deeply fell in love with the New York Knicks. Um, of course, watched them lose that series in heartbreaking fashion, four games to two, the whole Charles Smith game. We all know about that. Um, but so 93-94, it was like, okay, Jordan's retired. This is our year. We're going to do it. Um, and, you know, since I didn't have that much going on in my life uh, at that point, um, I just committed to like watching literally every single game of the season. Um, and I just like went full on like, like fucking like Beatlemania uh, <laughs> obsession um, with this team. Now so, at this point you're coming out of your WWF phase and into your, your exactly. NBA phase, right? I'm yeah. I'm out of your I'm, timeline. <laughs> yep. I'm fully off the WWF. Hulk Hogan had left um, uh, about a year earlier uh, the New York Giants were really not not much going on in, on the football front, um, so there was just nothing nothing else in my world other than the New York Knicks, Patrick Ewing, John Starks, Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley. Um, so, uh, so in '94, uh, as the playoffs began, um, basically everyone in my family and like surrounding. Uh, sort of circle of friends, including family and friends. Like, it's all I ever talked about. So everyone knew that I was completely obsessed. So my mom, who uh, was a music teacher, um, she had a student... Uh, that she taught flute lessons to, uh, uh, and this is in Wilton, Connecticut, where we, where I was growing up. Um, and this guy, I forget what he did for a living, but he had some sort of connections. So as a present, I guess, um, for my mom's wonderful music lessons, um, he gave us, uh, me slash us, um, two sets of tickets, playoff tickets, oh Nick's playoff tickets. Oh so two for two different games, right? Um, and I don't even know, like, I don't like this guy, like, oh, fuck, I wish I could remember his name. I'll have to ask my mom at some point. Uh, it doesn't matter. No, he's not a um, famous person at all, but just like, um, a, a, an amazing guy, um, who just knew of my, my passion and was like, Oh, this is the best thing I could do for this family. So he bought us, uh, he gave us, gifted us, uh, two sets of tickets, one ticket, Chris. Um, and so it was two pairs. So, so two tickets each for two different games. Okay. The first set of tickets was for game five of the first round playoff series between the Knicks and the New Jersey Nets. And the Nets, yeah. Right. Game five. Now, game five just so happens to be the one game in that entire Knicks playoff run in 94 that did not occur because the Knicks won that series in four games. Mm. Um, every other uh, series that they played against the Bulls and the Pacers and the Rockets was a full seven-game series. But they won their first round against the Nets in four games. So, therefore, game five, those tickets sadly did not um, yeah, just matter. And it didn't, yeah, wasn't a game. The other set of tickets was game one of the following series, uh, which, of course, was the Eastern Conference semifinals, Knicks versus Bulls. Um, so, uh, I was like, all right, you know what? It's a bummer that I, we, I couldn't go to game five, but in a way I was kind of like, you know what? It's, I'm fine. That the fact that the Knicks won the series, like I'm actually happier that I don't have to worry about them, you know, in a, in a game five against the New Jersey Nets. Um, 
So uh wasn't too broken about that and was just like fully excited, focused on game one, uh Knicks versus our arch rivals, the Chicago Bulls. Um and uh and I was just, you know, like it's you know, like just weeks leading up to it. It's like all I can think about. I'm so excited. Um and so the day of the game arrives. Now, normally um it's my dad who was the sort of the other sports fan in the family. So he and I would always watch the games together. Right. Um, he's who, the the person who took me to my first game against the Bullets earlier that season. Um, but for this game, um, he decided since it was Mother's Day, it would be really nice to Jeez. allow my mom to take me to the game. Um, what a guy. Uh, which I, yeah, which I thought was I mean, awesome. Yeah. Also, it had just so happened that, um, so he had, uh, this didn't really have anything to do with this decision since he had decided it um, beforehand, but it turns out that that day, my dad came down with like a horrible sickness, like okay. flu, just like bedridden, couldn't get out of bed. So, um, so it sort so of worked out, you know. It worked out perfectly, yeah. right. So, <clears throat> day of the game, it's an afternoon game, Sunday, I believe, Mother's Day, um, game one, Knicks versus Bulls at the Garden, my mom and I drive into the city. You know, you get into Manhattan, you got the WFAN on the radio as you're going into the game, getting so excited. I got my, uh, I'm pretty sure I was wearing a, uh, an Anthony, uh, Anthony Mason jersey to the game. Uh, got my, uh, you know, my Nick starter hat, everything, the whole deal. Pretty sure I had made a sign that I brought with me. I don't know. Um, and, um, and we had like uh, tickets, like kind of like, um, like, like half court, but like pretty high up. So we were like kind of upper deck, but like a perfect, like basically like the TV angle that you, right. that you so see like on, um, right at the mid court point, right at mid court, just yeah. looking down, um, uh, pretty high up. Um, great, great tickets. So, so we get to the, the garden, uh, the energy is electric. Um, I am, you know, the most excited I've ever been in my probably entire life at that point. We get to the turnstile. We hand the guy our tickets, oh, no. and the guy says, oh, no. "These aren't these. You can't get in. These aren't tickets for this game." And we're both just like, "Wait, what do you? What do you mean? What are you talking about? These are the these are our tickets for the game. Like I've been, yeah. you know, been like you know holding these in my pocket, like oh, no. you know, for the past like three weeks." And the guy's like, "No, no, no. Look at the date. Look at the." And we had, oh no, sure enough. They we were the brought Nets? the tickets to Game Five oh of Knicks versus Nets, God, and uh, I am panicking. I am immediately just like hyperventilating. My mom is like, "Well, what do you? No, no, no!" And you know, she realizes what has happened. She tries to explain to the guy. He's like, "I don't know what you want me to do, lady. Yeah, like, you need I tickets to get. Yeah. You, you need tickets to get. I can't just like let you into the game without tickets." Um. I'm basically like it takes me like about five minutes to just full on meltdown into tears. I'm 11 years old. Oh my god! Uh, this oh my. is like the biggest moment day of my entire life. Right. Um, and I realize it's it's just slipping out of my my fingertips at this right. point. Um, you know, my, it, it's a good hour and a half uh, drive from my house into the city. Um, uh, you know, it just, it doesn't, there's like, this isn't the year 1994. There's no, you know, you can't like text the, 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 um, I don't think we, we didn't even have cell phones. There was no way to, you know, there's no email the tickets to us, like blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, no, no. The tickets are back in Connecticut an hour and a half away. Uh, and then it would be another hour and a half to get back to the garden. The right. game would be over by that yeah. point. It's it's done. It's done. My my dream right. is over. It's finished. Um, my mom um, 
warrior champion that she is does not give up. She's trying to figure out she's going to the, uh, you know, take me, uh, take, you know, basically like take me around to various ticket windows to try to talk to a, a human being who can like try to help us like work through this. Maybe they can call my dad in Connecticut and he can give them information, oh something, something like that. Yeah. Um, we're trying to call my house. There's no one picking up. Um, uh, you know, I, we're assuming that my dad is just like asleep in his sleep. like flu coma. Yeah, you know, he's sick. like sick as a dog. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, just looking at the at the you know my my watch my like Casio watch whatever. Like the the minutes are just ticking away. <laughs> the game's gonna start any minute here. I'm complete. I'm just like completely beside myself. And on top of that, I I'm like trying not to cry because I don't want my poor mother to like feel bad. But the emotion and the disappointment is just completely overcoming me. Oh um, so we are in, I'll never forget this moment. We are in the, like, the box office, like, little, like, there's, like, we were literally in, like, some, like, back room of, like, the MSG, like, box office, like, waiting okay. at some window to, like, talk to another person. We'd gone from, like, four different windows. People keep, like, shuttling us around, trying to, like, figure out someone who might be able to help us, whatever. My mom just, like, not giving up. And we're sitting there. I'm basically like head in my hands. I'm just like resigning myself to what, what has happened here. When all of a sudden, out of the din of voices and people in this office, I hear my father's voice yelling, Moira, Moira, which is my wife's, I mean, my, my mom's name, Moira. And I look up and my fucking father is standing there looking like, you know, on death's doorstep, holding no. the tickets the actual tickets yeah. to that game in his hand. Yep. He had like right before like passing out in his like f- sick bed, he had looked at the bedside table and just like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's fine. But uh, I don't know. I have like this weird feeling. Takes one last little double check. Look, glances at the tickets, realizes that we had taken the wrong tickets. Again, there's no cell phones. There's no way to contact us. Um, so in his like, horribly sick state he like dragged himself out of bed you know speeded uh down i-95 uh to get to the garden um somehow like waded through the sea of people to like find us i don't i don't know how he found us we were in like some random ass like room somewhere in in msg um (laughs) he hands my mom uh the tickets and he's just like have fun and just like leaves because he knows that there's no time um and we're just like it was literally just like an like an angel from heaven just like appeared and was like nope here you go so yeah i've never met your dad but like that already <laughs> like catapults him into like all-time great father like legendary status right there like yeah that is yeah that is like the definition of like fatherhood being a like a stellar parent like putting all else like aside like your health just like putting your health aside to get your child into his first nba playoff game it's yeah. like that's you will never for, i mean i know you will never forget that story for the rest of your life and it probably like yeah. sh- literally probably has shaped the way that you go about your parenting and the way you think about parenting and stuff it's just yeah. that that's amazing man that's that's yeah. an incredible story I mean, uh, it's, you're right. I, it shapes the way I like, um, you know, view my father. It shapes the way I try to like be a father. It shapes the way I also, I feel about like the team, like how, like the reason why, uh, this team meant so much to me and still obviously a little bit means something to me, but like, you know, it's clearly eroded, uh, gradually over the years, but like 
the passion that I had for this, you know, dumb sports team that obviously like no, you know, doesn't care about me, has never met me, is because of like those memories where you're like, oh no, no, like I'm in I'm invested. <laughs> like this is this is bigger than me. This is like a family matter. <laughs> like you're not saying it, but I'll say it for you. Like the disappointment that you feel with the current state of the team and the disillusionment that you feel with the current state of the team is rooted in like your passion and love for what once of was course. with that yeah. ninety four team. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, dude, so anyway, yeah, I'll never forget. We incredible story. Yeah, my mom grabs the tickets. We rush through the gate. We rush to our seats. I remember literally like like stepping through the tunnel into like the the open arena and looking at the um, the uh, scoreboard where they have because you know before the game the the clock counts down. Yeah. Um, and then it like has like a big buzzer before like the tip off. You know, the players organize at center court for tip off. Yeah. And when we walked into the um, like literally like sat down in our seats, I looked up and there was like forty seconds left <sighs> counting down. Oh my god! Uh, right before like literally it was like under a minute that we got in so like just um, even getting to your seats this whole thing must have been just like a fever dream for you like oh like, yeah just like rushing my mom and i were literally running through the halls of madison square garden trying to find you know the right gate whatever the right yep. uh uh, all, all, you know the tunnel yeah. entrance, all that shit, oh and we got God. there, and it was like forty seconds left. Buzzer sounds. Right. Game one. Knicks Bulls begins. Um. So Incredible. yeah, let's talk. About <laughs> so we should our, talk about the game itself. Let's talk about <laughs> which, our rewatch experience. What it was like for you. Um. Uh. So I I, I think we should probably the the um. I don't know. My thought about approaching this is like twofold. One, why don't we just start with some general big picture takeaways and observations, kind of like things where you're like, man, rewatching this game, one thing that I like totally forgot or, you know, something I, I really remembered was this. And then yeah. we can go from there uh, into more specific kind of things like, hey, this play in the third quarter was really important. Great idea. You know what I mean? But so Love give me it. like big picture thoughts, observation, observations, takeaways from rewatching this game and obviously being there in person. Anything that like jumped off the page to you or jumped off the screen to you rewatching this? Well, you know, a lot of podcasts, I don't want to call them out by name, um, but a lot of uh, other podcasts that I know that you and I both listen to, Chris, have mentioned that going back and watching old games uh, is uh, an arduous experience. They, uh, I, I've heard certain podcasters uh, call these games from the 90s, specifically Knicks games from the 90s, quote, unwatchable. Um, I just got to say, I could not... <laughs> disagree more more strongly yeah um clearly it is a different brand of basketball it is not flying up and down the court with precision dribbling and amazing three-point shooting and high flying you know uh dunks thanks to um you know increased space um you know guys are not uh pinned to the corners of the three-point line um it's a very very different brand of basketball and yeah it is not perhaps as like aesthetically pleasing if you like you know fluid ball movement and like no man and like swishing threes but it is no it is it is uh it's i mean i don't know obviously i'm biased like it's there's no i'm not going to convince anyone that doesn't feel this way but to me watching those games um 
it just brings back this feeling of like it is like watching a football game yeah where every single play is just such a life and death struggle yes of human will um and, and also like everything was very intentional like in the way that like this looks like a football game in terms of like there were plays like there were actual mm-hmm. basketball sets where it's like mm-hmm. oh so this guy who's gonna come up and set a screen that's be he's literally doing that because pat riley drew that up you know what i mean yeah like yeah hey set a screen for oakley he's gonna cut to the rim you're gonna find oakley cutting to the rim you know what i mean like everything was so prescribed and in that way i think coaching was like a really big important thing like you ran basketball sets you ran basketball plays whereas the game now is so improvised kind of wide open space kind of just find the open man Right, um, free-flowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both, you know, beautiful and interesting in their own way, but, like, I find this basketball incredibly interesting to watch. Yeah, it's so compelling, and the human drama, you know, it's just, it's, it, you really, I mean, obviously, it's it's a, a more physical game. Everyone, you yeah. know, points to that immediately, and it's true. Like, watching this game, it's just like, guys are just hitting the deck left and right. I mean, you it's know, also Pippen's just getting more, beat up. Yeah, it's a more intense game. I mean, granted, this is game one of a playoff series. Sure, it's playoff basketball to you know immense rivals um, yes and also like but- to, to, to that point like the rivalry thing like these guys also clearly very clearly hated each other like truly oh yeah despised each other this is dude not did like you a do you remember the specific play where uh Derek harper like t- takes out bj armstrong and and just kind of like shoves him into like the first row of the stands basically and is just like yes. just like oh like scoffs at like scoffs at him as he's like down on the ground like doesn't yes. even like not only does he not offer a hand to like pick yeah. him up he like went out of his way to push him down to the ground and then walk away like Absolutely. fucking <laughs> yeah yeah man I mean uh, yeah, yeah one of my big observations is uh you know just not to belabor the point it's just like every foul like every everyone that there were no easy fouls you know what I mean yeah like like you yeah. earned every foul like yeah and, like there was no such thing as a light foul you know if you were getting hip checked by Charles Oakley like you were gonna feel it every time mm-hmm. if he put a shoulder into your chest driving to the rim first of all they didn't call it half of the time they wouldn't even call a charging foul but like if if they were gonna call it you know he was getting his money his money's worth uh when he was every like uh and i remember feeling this exact emotion as a kid watching these games but because of you know just the fact that it was so much more um so so much less higher scoring so much more low scoring and because of the the defense every single play is so much more like fraught and important so like every bat like a basket feels more like a touchdown in football where yep. it's like a, like a, a release of energy like an incredible like yeah. oh my god like and, and it's almost like every time the knicks would have the ball because they were such a um let's face it not a a gifted offensive team um you were like it, it felt impossible that they would be able to score a basket so when they did score a basket it was like oh my god i can't believe they did it like it that major. was so yeah, yeah like every single play felt like you know like a miracle when when it actually like worked out for them well yeah um, because guys were on the court for their defensive prowess you know what i mean like, yeah it, it seems like in a five-on-five basketball game now in the nba Everyone who uh, is on the court is there for some offensive purpose, whereas, like, 
you know, half of these guys for the Bulls, half of these guys for the Knicks were on the court for their ability to like be defensive stoppers. Yeah. Um, and that had real value. And it's still, I mean, it could theoretically have as much value in today's NBA. It should actually have even more value. If like your sole function is like, hey, your job is just to shut down James Harden. Your job is just to give, you know, Steph Curry a hard time tonight. Uh, right. Don't worry about scoring. We have plenty of offensive firepower. Your job is to give that other guy a hard time and to make his life a living hell. Right, but I think that that is less common nowadays because yeah. of a very intentional move by the league to like, yeah, you know, move away from that. Um, like that type of player, like doesn't really, you can't really do that. You can't shut down no. James Harden and Steph Curry anymore yep. because you just there's you can't play physically enough um, yep. with the ru- with the n- rules now. Yeah. Uh, so literally, if you if you don't bring something to the table offensively, you just don't have enough value to to make it onto the court. Um, yeah, and that is where it was like watching a totally different sport when you watch these games where you're like, oh. Right. Like someone couldn't play defense like Charles Oakley did right there because that would be like if Oakley played Anthony Davis like that in an, in a play in today's NBA, he would just foul out in five minutes because right. the refs don't call the game like that anymore. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, needless to say, absolutely thrilling, thrilling experience. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there were like I, I told you before um, when you first alerted me to the fact that you were rewatching this game. I was like, I have specific moments from that game, like seared into my memory from, from my childhood experience. Um, like I hadn't, I haven't gone back and rewatched this game since I saw it in person. Um, oh, wow. but I still remembered like very, very specific plays, uh, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, that when I rewatched them now, it was like, uh, yep, that matches up. That matches up pretty well to my memory. Um, and yeah, it's so it was just so fun. Um, so I mean, all right. So let's I get into couple, the game. Yeah, can I just do one or two big picture things? Yeah, absolutely. Big picture, uh, overarching thought from watching this game. And granted, the first half and the second half were kind of a totally different story. Mm, yeah. But big picture takeaway: Scottie Pippen, man, was a truly dynamic offensive player. I, I think that people kind of. Like, I know this point has been made before. Um, Obviously, he was overshadowed by Jordan's brilliance when Jordan, you know, was on the team. And this, of course, is the first season that Jordan is out of the league. But rewatching this game, man, obviously, Pippen's first half and second half were, are frankly, like a tale of two, you know, tale of two cities, tale of two players, whatever you want to say. Like, you know, Pippen being kind of a no-show in the second half is a big reason why the Bulls struggled here. But rewatching the game... It, I will say, is really eye-opening how skilled Pippen was with the ball in his hands. Like, he was... Oh, yeah. He was a truly dynamic offensive creator. Like, this game, he really made a point of being, like, a ball distributor, especially mm-hmm. early on, like, getting his teammates involved. And it kind of felt like, man, the way that, you know, Chris Paul plays, you know, uh, n- nowadays, like... You're, you're when you're watching Chris Paul, you're like, I have zero doubt that this guy can overtake a game with his shot. But right now, he's spending the first half just getting all of his teammates involved, all of his teammates involved, setting up, setting them up with shots. And the guy was just so fluid. The way he, you know, he was this long, lanky, uh, had this long, lanky frame, like running up and down the court. It sort of reminded me, in a weird way, of like Penny Hardaway, um, the way mm-hmm, he would just mm-hmm. kind of move and glide through space. 
And uh, glancing at his basketball reference page, Ben, 93-94. Pippen averaged... Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. 20, 20, <laughs> 22 points, 8.7 rebounds, 5.6 assists, 2.9 steals, uh, 0.8 blocks. And this is the first year of his career. He's starting to shoot more threes, right? Now, I want you to think about this guy. Think about that stat line. And you're a huge NBA fan. You play a lot of fantasy basketball. Think about who that player is. Is there a guy that you would compare those raw numbers to someone that plays the game now? Like, is there anyone that player would remind you of? Um, I mean, honestly, it's like a a sort of a bad LeBron James year. Yeah. It's like the number, like the assists plus the rebounds. Right? But but better defensively, like the, the got, steal numbers. I got a player I want to. I think that might. I think it might be the perfect comp. Okay, hit me. Player you know very well. This year, average twenty points a game, six point six rebounds, six point one assists, one point seven steals, point four point five blocks. Jimmy Butler. Oh, Jimmy Butler, of course. Yeah, that's a great comp. He kind of has some Jimmy Butler vibes, He does, right? a little bit, yeah, where he just kind of does everything. Yep, um, another guy I was thinking of was uh, Scotty didn't have quite as offensive, uh, you know, didn't have quite the offensive skill as this player, but 26.9 uh, points a game, 7.3 rebounds, 5 assists a game, 1.8 steals, 0.6 blocks. That's Kawhi Leonard. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Right? Very Kawhi-ish, yeah. Um, I mean, in anyways, terms of like, yeah, yeah, wing wing defense. Like, I would put Pippen and Kawhi uh, yeah. very close. Like, you know, I mean, top five of all time. We're talking like, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. In terms of a two way player, like, I mean, Pippen. Yeah, like he might. He probably should have won MVP this year. Obviously, Olajuwon won it, um, and that was pretty well deserving. Um, yeah, but just like can, even uh, even hearing you say that, like, it really took me rewatching this game, seeing Pippen play on his own. To just sort yeah. of, you know, again, I don't want to turn this into a Scottie Pippen podcast, but like just rewatching <laughs> this game, it's like, wow, this guy was way more skilled than I remember. Like, obviously, he was on the dream team, but to me, like, he is always going to be seared into our memory as like the the Robin to Jordan's Batman. You know what I mean? Right. And seeing him play on his own is like, oh god, this guy was incredible. Like this guy yeah. was absolutely incredible as as a as a solo guy. So I mean, the Bulls lost Michael Jordan. The rest of the roster remained intact. Yep. They replaced him with Pete Myers. Yep. Uh, and they were still a, what a three seed. Yeah. Oh, and Tony yeah. Kukoc, who I actually. Yeah, he was he was pretty pretty important. Yeah, dude, I want to talk about Kukoc. Oh man, Kukoc. Yeah, some specific terms here, but we'll get to that. But um, yeah, I just wanted to give a big shout out to to Scottie Pippen, or just make that big observation that like yeah, he he was an incredible player. Um, Yeah, and then the other big observation I had was just like, and I know you can speak to this having been at the game and as a kid is I just can't get over how loud Madison Square Garden. Oh yeah, specifically in the third quarter. I mean, I know this is something that. We Once just, they start making that run, yeah, yep. we we just got accustomed to this as kids watching Knicks games and feeling like you know the roof was just going to pop off the arena. But even now, man, rewatching the game, I'm still not sure I've heard a modern NBA arena sound like MSG did. You know, during those heated Knicks playoff games with with, with the Heat or with the Pacers or here with the Bulls, like it just mm-hmm, it always mm-hmm. felt the, the the roof was just going to pop off that place. Um, well, the the thing I love so much about that team, and honestly, one of the one of the first memories. 
memories I have of watching the Knicks uh, play the Bulls back in 93 um, was um, my dad would, would tell me, like, you know, sort of when I've, like, the first game that we watched, and I like, didn't really know what was going on. He was like, this team, you know, they usually play kind of like flat in the first half, but just wait. Just wait until the second half yep. because they have this other gear, this this defense of theirs like snaps into a new gear especially in in the fourth quarter where like if they have a lead in the fourth quarter or like going into the fourth quarter like they're not they're not letting it go um because they just become a different team and the garden crowd to your point chris like uh i feel like everyone always um kind of sensed when that was about to happen and yeah. that was always like the most exciting moment in the game when like that turning that little flip was was a uh, switch was flipped that turning point and yeah in this game it happened you know midway through the third i guess um or the i actually you know i'm actually looking at my notes here and it's like two two minutes left in the third yep. the Knicks are still down by 13 points yep. um they were down at 15 at one point in the third um, and uh, and Marv Albert says the crowd trying to get the Knicks going and like clock is down to three. Kirkhope, the play by Mason cutting off Kirkhope. Anthony for three. So the Knicks in the midst of a run. This is the sharpest their offense has won. Like they could taste even even down thirteen. Like one play happens, and they're like, "Okay, here here it comes. The yeah. run the run is coming. Um, the defense is clamping down, and everyone could kind of like smell the blood. So even if you're down by like ten points or whatever, like the crowd, like even before they sort of like were like well into the run, it was almost like the before the run even happens, like the crowd would start to sense it and like kind of like urge them into it. Yeah. And then the run would happen and then the crowd would react. It was like this kind of thing that fed itself. Yeah. Um yeah. so so magical, <laughs> like so electric. Yeah, um and yeah, it was just there's like nothing like it. We were just like, oh, here we go. It doesn't matter how many points they're down by, like yep. this is a this is a whole new basketball game starting now. Um yeah, and this game just like totally epitomized that. All right, let's talk some specifics here. So, all right, from the top of the game, um, first, <laughs> first thing is just like, man, as soon as I started- can, we, can we talk about the Knicks starting lineup, dude? Literally, what I was just about to ask yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't. This believe... was definitely something I had not. I did not remember exactly, man. I couldn't believe that Anthony Bonner started this game. I forgot yeah. that Mason came off the bench. Yeah, um, I was Mason gonna... was a, was always a six man, yeah. but I Bonner was a wild card because I um I had forgotten that along with John Starks uh, getting injured late in the year, which we'll talk about, mm. Charles Smith had also gone gone down with an injury. I forget exactly what happened to him, but Charles Smith was was the Knicks' usual starter. Gotcha. Um, yeah, which is hilarious because he's like not a small forward at all. I know. Um, I know I but um, yeah, he's I was like six ten. I was going to ask if you remember the starting lineup for the Knicks. Well, the usual starting lineup at the beginning of the ninety three ninety four season was Doc Rivers, right. point guard, right. Starks at shooting guard. Uh, Smith and Oakley as uh, basically two power forwards, um, and then Ewing at center, of course, and. Doc Rivers went down with like an was it an ACL like a really bad like a season ending injury yeah. in like November knee, or December. It was a knee yeah. issue. Yeah, it yeah. was a bad knee thing. Um, and so he was out for the year. So to replace Doc Rivers, the Knicks traded for uh, Derek Harper. Man. They sent uh, Tony Campbell. It was like I remember like being blown away by this trade. It was like Me Tony too. Campbell, 
who like was I don't know like a somewhat serviceable like reserve player. It was crazy Tony Campbell to me and that the Knicks could get someone of Derek Harper's caliber. You know. Yeah. Derek Harper was like an all-star yeah, like a couple of years yeah, earlier, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like an 18-point-per-game, um, you know. Like, one of those like great players trapped on a bad team in Dallas kind of guys. Right, yeah. right. Stuck in Dallas. So like, the Knicks, you never um, would assume that he would be available to a good playoff team like the Knicks. Right, right. They must have sent like a couple of first-round picks maybe to get him. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was basically like Tony Campbell and picks for Derek Harper. Um, and I remember at that point, it was like, oh, shit, this team is legit. I mean, I knew that they were legit already, but... Um, you know, because we were worried when when Rivers went down, because Rivers was really important. He was like one of their key like floor generals, uh, real leader on the team, uh, that '93 team. Um, so anyway, so it was uh, so yeah. So then it was Star- Harper, Starks, uh, Charles Smith, Oakley, and Ewing, with Mason as the sixth man. And then you got guys like Hubert Davis, Anthony Bonner, Greg Anthony uh, coming off the bench. Herb Williams was Ewing's backup, um, and um, yeah. But I I had totally forgotten that that Bonner was starting over Smith and then that Starks was coming off the bench because he had only recently recovered uh, from a knee injury of his own um, that kept him out of like the last 30 games of the season. Um, So his first game back was game one of the net series and they were easing him, easing him back uh, coming off the bench, um, basically using the net series to like reintegrate him into the, into the team. Um, so by game one of the next series, um, he still didn't have his legs under him at all. And it, and it clearly showed like he, um, you know, like he had this big brace on his knee, like clearly like wasn't being very aggressive, didn't, you know, wasn't driving to the rim. Um, and, uh, he had a bad game shooting from, uh, from the field, but as we'll discuss, ha- had some pretty clutch plays. Yeah. And uh, and and contributed in other ways, I would say. Dude, it's wild. Uh, Hubert Davis in the starting lineup. I remember. I, I just remember as a child, like thinking, telling friends that, like, I really think Hubert Davis is going to be like the next great, you know, point guard for the Knicks. And that I, I feel like we've actually had this conversation before. Man, it, yeah, it, you've always been kind of a Hubert Davis fan. I'm not entirely sure why. Like, I know, I know. He was okay, but right, no, was definitely <laughs> maybe okay at best. But I think yeah. we actually may have had this conversation during the Knicks point guard uh, podcast that we did. Does that ring? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But With, um, uh, Charlie Ward. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I think that um, like the way my child memory worked was like when someone was the backup quarterback. I always thought the reason they were the backup quarterback was because they were the next in line. Like if you were the backup point guard mm. and then like, oh, he's gonna he's gonna be the full time point guard really soon because they they you know, like they drafted him to like groom him into into to taking over the full time job in a couple of years. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but of course it never worked out for Hubert Davis in that way. But yeah, I, I was so funny seeing him in the starting lineup being like Hubert Davis. See, like he was really good, but of course they were only playing him because they were obviously decimated by injuries between rivers right. and Starks. Yeah. I will say though, he had some, he had some pretty good numbers. Yeah. I mean, he always had like a few, he would show flashes and, uh, you know, he was really just a, th- a three point kind of unitasker. Yeah. Um, but man, like talk about being, um, being elite from, from three, he shot 40% from three point, uh, uh, range in 93 94 wow, was it that uh, two, 2.4 attempts per game next season 94 95 45.5 percent from three next season 95 96 this is on 3.6 attempts per game he shot 47.6 percent from three wow yeah wow and in 99 2000 
This is now with the Dallas Mavericks. He led the league in three-point percentage with 49.1% from three uh, on two attempts per game. So, yeah, Hubert Davis uh, had a pretty sweet stroke uh, and not much else. All right, so that's the starting lineup. Um, uh, Any other specific things you noticed? Uh, For me, like, you know, starting the game, of course, hearing that round ball rock, the NBA on Mm -hmm, NBC mm -hmm. theme is just like, oh, most titillating piece of music, you know, theme music. Just, just, uh, I don't know. Incredible stuff. Yeah. Incredible song. The Um, sound of my childhood. Yep. yep. Also, there's like that great, I had forgotten about this until rewatching, but um, kind of like as the game is like about to be tipped off, like as the, as the players are like kind of circling about, um, there's like this jazz tune, kind of like jazzy, like high energy jazzy song that plays just in the arena, not on, not on the broadcast, but in, in MSG. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to send you uh, a moment at one point, but I, but I like was reminded of that. I was like, oh yeah, that song. It was kind of like, uh, it, it was, was like one of those, like one of the, one of the songs played in the arena or on. MC. Yeah. It was just like a, no, it was just in the arena. It wasn't on the broadcast. Yeah. Um, but it was just kind of like the, the, the hype up, like right before tip off music played in the, uh, in the garden. Um, but yeah, that was like a real like nostalgia bomb, uh, hearing that again. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, I mean... I mean, one of the things that jumped out at me kind of early on um, in the first quarter, just, like, seeing Phil Jackson and Pat Riley, I was like, wow, these guys truly hated each other. I kind of mm. forgot how Oh, big, Phil Jackson how, constantly, constantly fucking whining uh, uh, in, the, in the press about, like, Riley's tactics, mm-hmm. like, how dirty. I hated that so much about him. And, they, and sure enough, in this game... They played like a little clip um, where Jackson's just sounding off about how they like treated Scottie Pippen so meanly. Bulls coach Phil Jackson is constantly reminding his team about the Knicks' physical style of play. Well, you know, I basically made some clips of our last New York Knicks uh, um, Bulls game. You know, Oakley banging Cartwright. Um, situation where Pippen gets pushed out of bounds and the foul call goes against, or the out of bounds call goes against us. Pippen trying to tap, uh, you know, Oakley on the floor, we get a foul call. The physical nature of the game, which we have to relate to, and you have to be poised about it, uh, there's going to be confrontation at every position. And you just have to be able to take that kind of confrontation and play through. He it. was such a little, a little wuss. Yeah. He was just const, constantly whining, and yeah, uh, I hated I, him. I hated him so much. There was just so much like animus in, in this whole rivalry, and it even went to the coaches. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. players hated each other, the coaches hated each other. It was truly like each franchise like despised the other one. But Jackson versus Riley was like one of the great. Um, you know, power struggles. Like, you, yeah, you, you, had, of course. you had the Zen Master winning those three titles with Jordan, and Riley was trying to get the Knicks over the hump. And yeah, um, but of course, Riley himself was was kind of Jackson. Like he, he yes. was the guy that Jackson was right. was chasing. Right. Uh, with, with Riley, uh, yeah, um, having won. Did he win three or four titles? Because I think the first Lakers title I know was not with Riley. Paul West Maybe Ed. their first two. Yeah. Um, but then by 85, 7, and 8, I think Riley won. But yeah, I think by the time uh, there was a graphic on screen that by 94, Riley was like the all-time leader in playoff wins right. um, as, a, as a coach. So there was this sort of like inter-coach like rivalry going on uh, within the game, you know, like each wanting to be like the the the, the lead dog in the coaching circle. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to, to remember that. And then, man, like I couldn't help notice in the first quarter of the game – 
God, like Ewing, they they just threw everything at Ewing. Bill Cartwright, specifically yeah. Bill Cartwright, he gave Ewing trouble, man. Like he, he really did. I was. I also noted that. I yeah. Bill Cartwright was like such a like just like bum, like just an unskilled bum. Where oh. you're like, who who is this guy? But some for some reason he had a way. He was like the Al like the Al Horford to to yes. Patrick Ewing. Um, he was and yeah, Ewing had like a terrible on, first half. He was on that Bulls roster to give Ewing grief. Marv even points out at one point that Cartwright, I think hardly, he said, Marv Allard points out like, Cartwright hardly played in round one versus the Cavaliers. He's really just out there for Patrick. And yeah. he sinks that first basket. Cartwright sinks that first basket against the Knicks. And um, actually Charles Oakley is the guy, Charles Oakley I think gets switched onto the play and Cartwright scores on Charles Oakley, who ironically was the guy that the Bulls traded to the Knicks for Bill Cartwright. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, because Cartwright and, and Ewing were old teammates. Yeah, no, Cartwright was despicable. Yeah, I was always like, how is Patrick Ewing not just like completely like mopping the floor with this this bum? Uh, but somehow he just had it. Yeah, he had some kind of a, a formula against Ewing, and it was always so frustrating. Um and uh, he also just had the ugliest foul shot in, in NBA history um, and just looked like a very old man. He looked like he was about 65 years old. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was very, very uh, difficult to watch him play. Man, it was funny. Like I texted you a photo at one point when I was rewatching the game on Saturday of like all the centers rostered on the Bulls. Um, you know, oh, yeah. Bill Cartwright. Yeah, Mar- Marv Scott actually Williams. makes a joke at one point. He's like, Luke, one of, what, 17 centers on this <laughs> Chicago Bulls roster. Cartwright, Longley, Williams, Will Perdue, not active for the players. Bill Wennington was not played uh, thus far today. It's literally five centers. Uh, uh, Bill Cartwright, Scott Williams, Luke Longley, Will Perdue, and Bill Wennington were all on that Bulls roster. And they were just, you know, they were just out there throwing bodies at at yeah. Patrick, like you said, like it was like a like an NFL game, just like just throwing bodies at him, trying to yeah, slow just him racking down. up fouls, yep. just getting in his in his way, yep. just annoying the shit out of him, yep. and yep. Yep. yeah, Ewing had a had a terrible first half. He scored five points in the first half. Um, I think at one point he was like, um, yeah. So with six minutes left in the third quarter, Ewing had seven points total, um, which is just like. Mm inexcusable i was just like what is going on um but then of course he kind of like you know uh got into the the flow a little bit and what he really did was just started rebounding like he was just inhaling rebounds uh, in that second half just like snatching Snatching rebounds yeah man it wasn't Um, just that he was grabbing rebounds it's like the way he grabbed the rebounds where it was like literally a snatch there's no way to describe it then just literally like him ripping the ball off the glass exactly yep, yep, just yep. like slamming it with his hands and just being like nope this is mine like i might not be like having a good game offensively <laughs> yeah. but like i will not be letting you get this rebound yeah um dude you know what put a smile on my face i don't know if you caught this was when the uh they're coming back from commercial break and the msg network does the uh or, uh, or nbc i should say does the like the celebrity row at Madison Square oh, yeah. Garden, and yeah, a little little Woody, Woody Allen, uh, Woody Allen. Uh, spotlight, <laughs> Woody yep. Allen in attendance, Spike Lee's. How about there. Sharon Stone looking Sharon nice in her sunglasses? Stone, Red Holtzman, and of course Ben Maury Povich in attendance mm. on Mother's Day. Uh, Maury, mother of God. Yes, very fired up to see Maury <laughs> in attendance. Um, yeah, dude. Another observation I had was just that uh, again, just appreciating some of these some of these players. 
uh, from the Bulls and the Knicks is like a guy like B.J. Armstrong. He was a really Ugh. dude. I hated B.J. Armstrong. Hated him. Hated him. He was a gifted offensive player, man. Like I, 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 he is someone I bet who could have like he would have been a really interesting player nowadays. Just a tiny guy. And um, we hated him. He was a thorn in our side, tiny little guy, but he could play, man. Like, and he played yeah. major minutes for the for those Bulls teams. He had a little bit of like the like the like the young Sam Cassell in him, where he was just like pesky. Yep. He was just like he was just like a little like gnat that you were just like get no get out of here, like stop it, stop. Like you're too small. You look like a child. Uh, he had these like big buck teeth. I, I know I'm getting a lot into like uh, like looks. I think this is actually. Um, my like ad hominem uh, <laughs> like kind of nature that uh, that my dad raised me as a sports fan mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. Um, where when you really hate a team that you're playing against, the first thing you do is attack their looks. Um, <laughs> uh, Scottie Pippen, obviously one of the ugliest human beings sure. uh, in NBA history. Right. We've already talked about Bill Cartwright, Grant, B.J. Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to be honest though, Horace was always kind of cool. I yeah. like I always I always kind of was like, uh, he, those he goggles are pretty us. dope. Yeah, he yeah um, but BJ Armstrong, a, man, played 40 minutes in game one, scored yeah. 17 points on six of 14 shooting. Like, he just could, an overachieving little, yeah, man. little baby. Yeah, yeah, he really could play. Um, uh, so, yeah, just wanted to point that out. And then, like, I, I don't know, I'm ready to have this conversation if you are. I can't believe how much responsibility Tony Kukoc had as, had as like a 25 year old rookie. I mean, yeah, the year that he came in, he just he immediately made an impact. He was playing 25 minutes a night, averaging mm-hmm. 11 points, four rebounds a game, three and a half assists. Was finally sh- came over from Croatia after yeah. an incredibly decorated international career. Yeah, um, I mean, he. I uh, only think he had how many points in this game? It was what like nine, ten. Tony Kukoc had nine uh, points. Okay, so he had nine hmm. points, but there were three major three-pointers in this game. Um, yeah, some dagger threes. Dagger threes, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like you said, he was he was a he was a EuroLeague MVP. Uh, he won, I think he won the EuroLeague MVP a couple of times, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. And the Bulls actually drafted him in 1990. Um, right, and they they were clamoring for him to come over and play with Jordan, but he just wouldn't leave Europe, and then finally made it over in 1993. At that point, Jordan had retired, and it was just sort of perfect timing. So he just sort of slotted into you know like a uh, a six man microwave scorer off the bench kind of role, and um, you know he was. We like, could do uh... yeah. Oh, I know what we're gonna say. No, I was just gonna say like he—he was someone you know. I know I've said this already. Like he would have thrived in today's game. Six foot eleven, came off the bench. He played small forward. He was essentially like he—he uh, he had some like Dirk Nowitzki sort of. Yeah, I was gonna say he was a proto Dirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played the small forward. Six foot eleven, but right. he could really a six foot eleven three point shooter. Yeah, he, um, who could also dribble and pass. He could play center. He could play shooting guard. He could play small forward. Like he—you could play him at so many different spots around uh, uh, around the court and he just developed more and more confidence as the years went on um of course we you know later in this series there's a very dramatic moment between scotty pippen and tony kukoc Mm -hmm. which we game three yeah which we can maybe discuss after we i mean there's a whole there's yeah maybe there's a whole like Kukoc uh, Bulls like psychodrama that we could do like probably yep. an entire deep dive on. Yep. So you mentioned how they dra- the Bulls drafted him in 1990, um, and then I don't know. You, do you know the story about the 92 Olympics when 
uh, Team USA go- faces off against Croatia, and it's kind of the first time that Jordan, oh, Jordan and Pippen, Jordan, yeah, and they're like. You know, obviously the USA knows they're going to win the game because they won every game by 50 points. Right. But instead of just winning, they were like, we are going to absolutely humiliate Tony Kukoc. Right. Um, and they went out of their way to specifically make that game a living nightmare for him. Right. Uh, du- double teaming him, trapping him as soon as he touched the ball. I'm pretty sure he was like either scoreless or or shot like maybe maybe made like one basket in the entire game. And this is like the star player of the yeah. of the entire national team. Um, and they were just like, nope, we're gonna like they like knowing that he was gonna become their teammate, you know, at some point soon. This like weird, they're like we're gonna logical torture. Yeah, we're we're gonna like sort of like initiate this guy um, by like showing him like who the the alpha dogs are, so that when he gets here, he'll understand his yeah. his place, I guess, Very his role. Cool. Very cool. Um, <laughs> Markley had stained a dream debut for the Americans. But in their next game against Croatia, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan grabbed the spotlight. With the focus on their matchup with one of Europe's best players, Tony Kukoc. Major storyline that carries into this game involves Tony Kukoc, second round pick of the Chicago Bulls back in 1989. The Bulls made a strong push to sign him last season. At that time, general managers in the league were trying to come up with gems, you know, make their discoveries overseas. And Kraus thought this guy could play in the NBA. While Jordan and Pippen had been winning back-to-back titles, Chicago GM Jerry Krause had been publicly wooing Kukoc to join the Bulls. Krause was recruiting this guy and talking how great he was. You know, that's like a, a father who has all his kids and now he sees another kid that he loves more than he loves his own. So we were not playing against Tony Kukoc. We were playing against Jerry Krause in a Croatian uniform. But unfortunately for the real Tony Kukoc, he was now the target of the world's two best defensive players. They were debating who was going to guard him. No, 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 I got it. No, 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 I got it. I'm looking at Michael and Scotty, and they're ready for, like, blood. Like, man. We knew the world was going to be watching. We knew everyone wanted to see what Tony Kukoc was like, and we were going to give him the worst experience he ever had on the basketball court. Pippen drew the initial assignment of shadowing Kukoc and harassed the Croatian from the opening whistle. It was hard to run across the half court without a ball. And and, uh, with the ball, it was just, here, somebody else get it. Tony definitely wasn't getting a shot up, and he wasn't going to score. Kukoc is nothing for four, and he's contributed nothing. We wanted to go guard him on the bench. Kukoc is called for the offensive foul. And after Pippen wore Kukoc down, it was Jordan's turn. Kukoc, stolen by Jordan. He reads it better than anyone. Slammed up. Them dudes were all over him. Rejected Kukoc. Here's a three on two. Pippen. I had a question from my teammates. During the game, like, what is going on? What did, do you not see that they're really trying to uh, get you off the court? And we're like, so what? I guess that's that's how NBA game is played. And it 
continued into um, his NBA career where I don't know if you caught the moment in the game when Pippen is like chewing out Kukoc like on um, talk about that yeah yeah yeah, he like makes some like I don't know defensive error or something like that and Pippen just rips into him live on television like in front uh, of the cameras like in front of everyone to see so that Marv Albert is like commenting on it Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course the game three moment which I'll never forget was one of the wildest moments I've ever watched on a basketball court it's a final shot um uh, I believe Phil Jackson draws up the play for Kukoc to take the final shot because the uh, Bulls are down by two with like, you know, three seconds left or whatever. And because Phil Jackson calls on Kukoc to take the shot, Scottie Pippen is so incensed yep. and petty that he Sits does it. not take the court. Yeah, Kukoc takes the final shot, makes it, bulls a win by one. The most emasculating um, thing possible that like and a, it was a, like a European wh- could. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The yeah. fact that Pippen like was so upset yeah. and 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 just like petty and and um and, and like childish to uh, like petulant to be like, yeah. no, if I'm not getting the shot, I'm not even gonna go in the game. Yep. Um I just remember thinking like this is this is just incredible. Insane. This this um, All right, yeah, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna keep this train moving because I know you have some time restrictions. Um, sure, sure. More observations for me, uh, uh, Charles Oakley, man. It's easy to. Oh, we forget. should talk about Oakley and Mason. Easy yeah. for, for, to, for to forget how talented a passer and offensive player Oakley was like we love his toughness obviously I think like that's something we talk about all the time and we sort of like you know love and remember but it's easy to gloss over like he had skill like like true Mm -hmm. offensive skill there was a play with like a minute left in the second quarter where Oakley takes the ball cross court and he just glides on his own handling the ball like a guard like like he takes it a full like full length of the court comes Oakley. Oakley on the drive. Strong move by Charles Oakley. Handling the ball like a guard that time. He had his head up all the way and was determined to go right at Pete Myers and take the ball to the rim. This is a guy that's six foot eight. He's a bruiser, but he kind of had like a graceful way in which he moved. And, um, you know, he, he could really just, I don't know, he could play with like a lot of like grace and finesse when he wanted to. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, he, you know, like, again, other podcasters have noted that um, watching him play nowadays is like... Um, you know, not, not as, as pleasing. Um, but God, I, I, I'll take it any day. Just like the, the bruising, the rebound, the offensive rebounding, you know, obviously everyone knows, uh, what he represented and like who he was. Um, and, uh, me of like when, um, when you would see in the nineties, like refrigerator Perry or like an, one of the great offensive linemen, who would like catch a pass at the goal line and it's like right that guy actually in addition to being like a world-class like right. blocker and defender actually has incredibly soft hands and yeah he can also, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Make these highly skilled plays as well and it's easy to forget that um because his job on the team was mostly to be like a junkyard dog just be like someone that would clean the glass make all the dirty work plays but um, he would flash these moments, especially passing the ball, where I'm like, God, man, that is incredible vision, like that he yeah. had, you know, and it's, it's, he, he, he could, he, he was more than someone with just like a high motor, is my point. Yeah, and, and he hadn't developed it by 94, um, but the fact that uh, later on in his career, uh, he started shooting three pointers, which is right. like 
crazy and like he was very ahead of his time um but the fact that he recognized like okay i'm gonna need to add something to my game um because yeah i mean in this game it was like kind of shocking at moments when he'd be holding the ball like 20 feet out and like the defense was just like completely sagged off like he was just he had he had moments where it was just like oh you have a wide open jumper like you're not even taking it um but um but to his credit he did like kind of develop that that outside shot like later on and um yeah became like a a pretty reliable like three-point shooter i don't know not like high volume but um but he could he could pop a few uh few threes every now and then to keep the defenses honest um but yeah, obviously Oak was there for his, you know, just his grit and his heart and his all that bullshit. Uh, he was a garden protector, you know. Absolutely. There's no, there's no, no two ways about it. All right, let's talk about um, the momentum of the game where it ch- where it changed and where it turned. So I would say like the Bulls really had a commanding, you know, had like really commanded the game through the first half, and it's really in the third quarter. The moment I sort of and like most most of the third most too. Of the, third, they, mo- the, the moment yeah. I sort of pinpointed. Tell me if I'm wrong. You were there. Is you know Pippen <laughs> injures his foot. He jams his right big toe. Yeah, like that's the- right. After John starts very intentionally trips him <laughs> <laughs> um, and gets called for a flagrant foul. The Bulls are um, up 13 points with three minutes left in the third, and it does feel like that's where momentum turns a little bit, or the Bulls start like slipping a little bit. Three minutes left in the third, Pippen jams his big, right big toe, comes out of the game. They're taping up his foot, and the Nick, the Knicks start, um, you know, the, the tide turns a little bit here. The, the crowd uh, sort of implores the Knicks um, to get back in the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple minutes left in the third. The crowd is, like, getting back into it. Um, let's see here. I'm looking at my notes. Oh, there's a huge play where... Um, with like about two minutes left, uh, the Knicks get a stop. Ewing inhales one of his rebounds and then throws like a massive outlet um, to uh, to Anthony Mason. Now we have That's to talk right. about Anthony Mason. Yep. Uh, and then Mason kind of like does like an incredibly agile like uh, on the run catch and dribble and then dishes it out to Greg Anthony for a big three. cut the game uh, that cut the lead to um to i think nine um mm. and uh and at that point you know the crowd is kind of like sensing like okay they're starting to look alive because they had just been completely flat they, they were just like not right. um they weren't into it at all um uh really for like the first uh two and a half quarters of the game um and then so by the start of the fourth i believe they're down nine um after three quarters uh, Marv Albert wishes Happy Mother's Day to everyone to begin yep. the fourth quarter. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember uh, from the broadcast, Matt, uh, or I don't, didn't remember, but uh, re-watching it, um, Matt Gukas. Uh, we got to give a yeah. shout-out to Matt Gukas, right, the, right. Uh, the, the, the color man, Marv's uh, color man, um, uh, makes a note that um, Pat Riley uh, gave a quote to him saying, quote, the fourth quarter belongs to us. Um, which again, like matches up so well with my memory of like, yeah. yeah, when, once they got into that fourth quarter, it was, they were just a different, they had like a completely different mentality. Um, and, um, so yeah, let's see, like, uh, Ku coach hits one of his dagger threes. The Knicks, uh, Bulls are up by 10 with 10 minutes left now. And I mean, just imagine like, 
you know, me as a child, after everything that I'd gone through to just get into this game and be like, God, if the yep. Knicks, like, don't win this game, um, like, I've never been more emotionally invested uh, in a in a uh, sporting outcome yep. uh, pretty much in my entire life. Um, and the thing is, man, the players acted like that, too. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not just, like, a thing that fans fabricated. Like, specifically, the end of the third, going into the fourth, you can just feel there is a heightened sense of urgency for the Knicks. It completely mm-hmm. changes. Um, they just go after every possession so hard. They're diving on the floor for loose balls. And the Bulls wanted it too, for that matter. There's a moment in the fourth, like we talked about, where Kukoc, I think it, like Kukoc makes an errant pass, and you see Pippen just chew him out on national television. Right, 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 that's out. what it was, yeah. Yeah, dude, yeah. and it's like, this is game one, and it's and it's life, yeah. life or death for these guys. Yeah. Yeah, the Knicks go on a 22-9 run yep. at one point. I think you, you texted me yep. that uh, that image. 22-9 um, run. It's a four-point game with eight minutes yeah. left in the fourth. Eight minutes to go. It's a left by as many as 15. It is now down to a four-point Chicago lead. A loud chant of defense. Now Mason guarding Pippen and providing problems. Uh, Knicks are down four. Charles Smith hits a uh, long jumper to cut huge, it to two. Huge, um, shot. Yeah, 7.50. Uh, by that point, the garden is just rocking. The towels are going going yeah. crazy. Dude, um, I love that reaction from Charles Smith. You, you, you were talking about... Oh, yeah, there, he was amped. There are a couple of reactions you had seared into your like child memory. Like For me, seeing Charles Smith running up in the court after he hits that two-point shot, seven minutes, 50 seconds left, Charles Smith is running up the court to get back on defense, screaming. His jaw is on the floor, and it's like, yeah. dude, I am right there with you. My 10-year-old heart is right there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. Dude, and then Charles um, Smith with a huge block on Horace Grant, seven minutes Oh, left. yeah, that was. That was a big play. God, he was a, I mean, he was a tough-as-nails player, man. And that that's, he does he I mean he gets he gets so much shit I for know. the 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 play know, you know against the course. Bulls in '93 and that that really like defines his legacy unfortunately but like yeah he he was like a, a pretty like you know he was no Oakley or Mason and so he's kind of like doesn't get uh, associated with like right. that kind of play but like he was a six foot ten like bruising big man could like throw it down yep. um, was like. Uh, you know, very athletic, um, had a pretty decent, like, jump shot. You know, I mean, he wasn't... Uh, it's wild, man. I don't like, know. It, it's wild, like, rewatching this game, how the whole, like, whole teams had identities. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and, and the, Knicks, the Knicks' signature thing was their, like, defense, their toughness. Like, that was their brand. And you, you even saw it with guys like Greg Anthony. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. Greg Anthony comes so, in, nails a big three-point shot in late in the third, and it's like, yeah, yeah. that's Greg fucking Anthony. Like, he is I was going to say, the uh, the closing lineup uh, for the Knicks in game one, Greg Anthony is, is one of those five. So with about 545 left, the game is tied. Anthony Mason hits a couple free throws to tie the game. And I have here in my notes, Oakley replaces Smith, and the Knicks have their closers out there. Mm-hmm. Mason, Oakley, Ewing, Starks, and Anthony, yep. junkyard dogs only. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, Derek Harper was great, but, like, Greg Anthony had, like, a certain, like, 
just nastiness to him. Um, yeah, he had that. You that, know, Pat Riley was like, "Yeah, you're going to be my fourth quarter." That guy. Patrick Beverly energy, where it's like, Jesus Christ, if this guy's in the game, it, like it's just going to be a nightmare. It's going to be really yeah. annoying. <laughs> Um, yeah 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 dude uh okay so stark so moving uh, on uh oh yeah sorry what do you got yeah no i just wanted to say man like john starks played with so much freaking moxie like uh you mentioned his knee surgery but just so much heart with this guy like it reminds me the way watching him play towards the end of this fourth quarter was like I, i i wrote down at one point like he reminds me of a golden gloves boxer you know what i mean like it's like it's funny he had a bad game you could tell that he didn't have his legs underneath him right he was coming off arthroscopic uh, arthroscopic knee surgery um Mm -hmm. he was he had been out for six weeks uh up until then up until then right but he just he played with so much toughness and confidence he was just brazen man he did not care he was like the ultimate grinder and um yeah, he, just, he finished this game uh, three of twelve from the field, zero of five from downtown. But you know what? He kept shooting, and he, yep. that was always his thing. And like, of course, that's what um, you know, kind of may or may not have cost the Knicks uh, the the championship that year in Game Seven against the Rockets. But um, that's right. But it, I was that's why I never had a problem. Uh, you know, even during that game when he shot his famous infamous two of eighteen, it was yep. like, no, that's who he is. Like he just keeps shooting, um, and sometimes it doesn't go down and. But like he just doesn't stop, and like that—that that was just like his whole mentality. Um, and so in this game, even though he is, you know, doesn't have his his three point shot at all, um, he keeps getting to the line, and he keeps making clutch free throw after clutch free throw. Um, at one point in the uh, in the fourth quarter, um, he's uh, he's at nine of nine from the line with fifteen points. Um, despite like not yeah. like, you know, he'd made like two, sh- two shots from the right. field at that point. Um, and then, uh, oh yeah, he has like a big and one, uh, where, um, Paxson, I think fouls him. That's right. But anyway, so then getting down towards the end of the game here, we've got, uh, two minutes and 53 seconds left. Mm. Um, the bulls are up by four after a, uh, uh, Scotty Pippen hits a clutch turnaround off the glass. It's 84 to 80. Um, and then, um, Mason battles for a rebound, drawing Pippen's fifth foul. I don't know if you remember that, where like, that's right. um, you know, just, I mean, we have to talk about Anthony Mason for a minute here. <laughs> I know. My man. God, this guy. Um, Dude, well, I, I wrote this down in my notes just about the fouls. It's, and I said this before, it's just, it's funny, man. It's like, these guys got their money's worth w- with regard to personal fouls. I mean, everyone played the game with four or five fouls. Like there was nothing yeah. cheap. Like Scotty was out there with five fouls. And mm-hmm. that's just how everyone played the game. Like fouling people, being physical was just part of what you did. Yeah. So I think after that fifth foul that uh, Mason draws on Pippen off an offensive rebound, or I guess it was like a loose ball, uh, Mason goes to the line to, to hit a free throw. Yep. So it's a three-point game. Yep. And now this was the play. This is the play that you texted yep. me. This was the play that was uh, my like the most uh I feel like this is indel- the, it, the most iconic moment of the game, right? It's the play of the yeah. game. It is. I have it in my notes as, in all caps, the play. Yep. The Bulls are up by three points. There's about two minutes and 20 seconds left in the game. Um, uh, Bulls have the ball. Pippen misses. Uh, Starks uh, grabs a long rebound, comes down. Uh, they go through a couple uh, couple passes. Yep. Uh, Starks pulls up and misses another three-pointer. But Charles Oakley yeah. grabs this rebound in a just a forest of of, of men, uh, goes right back up with it, flips up kind of an ugly shot as he's getting hammered, 
the shot falls down, goes down, um, and the foul. And Mason celebrates. Anthony Mason celebrates, just goes crazy, just like running, leaping all the way back to midcourt line, pumping his fists in the air like a wild man. Um, and at that point, it was just like, okay, the Knicks yep. got this. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, there's no way they're letting this game yep. slip away from them. Um, Oakley hits the free and, throw, ties the game. Yeah, Oakley hits the free throw to tie the game. Bulls timeout, two minutes left. Um, yeah, man, it's funny. I told you originally, I thought... I had to rewatch this a couple of times because I originally thought Mason hit that shot just because mm. the way he reacted. Yeah. And the way he reacted, right. You're like, the way oh, he it reacted, was his play. I was like, oh man, Anthony Mason's just incredible. And then I looked at it again and I was like, no, that's actually Charles Oakley. And uh, yeah, so Oakley just skies high for the offensive rebound. He, he grabs it over th- overstretched over three Bulls defenders, Pippen, Longley, and B.J. Armstrong. He fights through traffic, puts the ball back up, and sinks the ba- sinks the bucket. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, man, that, that Mason celebration was just iconic. Like, it, it, it's just it, hard on his sleeve, man. He wore, his, he wore his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the kind of, like, that's the reason people cared about that team. Is like guy like, dudes like that who, like, he wasn't even involved in the play, but his reaction and his, like, just energy, you could just, yeah. like, feel it. You were like, that's me. That's how I feel. <laughs> um, yeah. And he was just completely, like, putting it out there. Uh, yeah, God, just, like, su- such a... Yeah, and it, it feels uh, like, yeah, just, that, like that energy is what the game came down to in terms of the Knicks winning. Like uh, Marv said it at one point, basically like Mason, Oakley, and Ewing are just hammering the offensive glass. The Bulls can't stop them from second chance points. And that mm-hmm, in a mm-hmm. nutshell, in addition to just like feeding off the infectious energy of Madison Square Garden is why the Knicks got back in the game and ultimately won. It was just they just were were destroying on the glass. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, one more uh, incredible play. I mean, so many just like, you know, Mason didn't finish with like the greatest stat line in the world. He had six rebounds total, Mm -hmm. but five of those rebounds were on the offensive glass um, and none bigger than so following the the Oakley uh, offensive rebound. Uh, Mason had a huge play where with about 50 seconds left. Um, oh, well, actually, wait. So there are two big Mason yep. plays. First, um, uh, there's an incredible defensive sequence with like under a minute to go where they force Pippen into that like crazy long range yep. uh, three point heave as right. the shot clock expires. Um, Starks grabs a long rebound after that shot and, and throws it down to Mason, who had leaked out for a wide open layup. Puts them up by two, 88 to 86. Um, uh, Bulls call a timeout. And then, um, oh, yeah. And then uh, really the, the the play that sealed the game, um, the Knicks have it with like, tw- oh, um, I don't know, like 20 seconds left That's or right. something like that. Yep. Um, Starks is, or no, sorry, Greg Anthony is forced into another three-point uh, three yeah. heave, a desperation three at the very end of the shot clock. The shot clock buzzes. It looks like an air ball. So initially the refs um, set, you know, uh, blow the whistle, but it turns out that the ball had barely grazed the rim. And That's Anthony right. Mason, of course, of all yep. people, Anthony Mason was right there. Extra no hurry. Now 
be their possession. And the Knicks are claiming that he grazed the rim, which would have started a new shot clock, and the ball taken by Anthony Mason, and they win the argument. Preserving possession, clock restarts, um, and now the Bulls are forced to foul. Yes. Uh, they, uh, Starks gets the ball. He's fouled with five seconds left and hits free throws number 10 and 11 to finish the game 11 of 11 from the line despite not having his three-point shot or his legs uh just fucking cool as ice at the free throw line polishes off the game yeah um Knicks come from and, uh, 15 down to win the game 90 to 86 yeah i believe the fourth quarter they outscores they outscored the bulls 28 to 15 in the fourth, of course, went on to win the series in seven games, and uh, there's there's a lot to come after that. But um, yeah, that game, wow. <laughs> so Ben, I had <laughs> what, a question for you. What a roller coaster. You. Yeah, my question for you was, um, I ask you in, in, in earnest because I don't tr- truly remember, but was this the moment that Anthony Mason basically supplanted Anthony Bonner in the starting lineup? Because we don't see Bonner for the almost the entirety of the second half and Riley mostly went to Charles Smith and Mason in the second was this sort of the turning point I think for the Knicks as a organization and franchise to be like okay Mason's actually gonna be the guy uh that's a good question I don't think so because I think he had been I mean he was always like a really important was he still uh, a guy six, was he still a sixth man coming off the bench in like 95 and 96 and stuff I think so because he okay. won um I think he won, let's see, because he won Sixth Man of the Year. That was either in 94 or 95. Um, but I know that Riley always liked to save him. That's why he, even though he was clearly better than yeah. Charles Smith, for example, right. um, Riley always loved having him as a uh, as a closer off the bench. Um, but uh, yeah, Anthony Mason won Sixth Man of the Year in 94, 95. Um, so even, even the following season, he was still coming off the bench. Um and uh yeah and teammate john starks won it in 96 97 how about wow. that um but uh yeah so he was always like i mean he would always basically play starters minutes but but um wasn't a starter because riley liked to like you know have him as like a sort of secret weapon to bring in just and, like uh, fresh and, legs who comes in five minutes yeah. yeah 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 but it was clear by that series definitely that he was like he was I mean the core. to like, me he was like part of the heart and soul of the team. He like was probably the second most important player on the team yeah. honestly after uh after Ewing because you know even though Oakley you know played great defense and and rebounded like a like a maniac Mason just did so many little things um you know he was kind of like one of the first point forwards quote unquote like actually yeah. him and Pippen sort of pioneered that position yeah. A guy who could bring the ball up and and uh, and and distribute it um, like really well. Um, Dude, I just I mean, so many plays. Watching this game, I was like, God, this is this is Draymond Green. Like, I I feel yeah. like I'm watching a Draymond Green type player. Wow, I never made that connection, but you're kind of right. Like, they're very similar in terms of their like the mason was like a little more subtle but like in terms of their just like basketball iq and so many plays like like at least two or three times um uh i uh i i noted in this game when mason would get the ball in traffic and I, i mean anytime the ball was in the paint it, you know, this is like '90s basketball. Like there are like seven different people like within a two foot radius. Um, uh, but so many times, like Mason had this knack for like getting the ball, and it looked like in like you know way too thick traffic, and like taking like one dribble and just like finding an open space so that he could like pop up for like a little jump hook. Um, 
And like so many times he was just like, so like kind of cool and collected under, under pressure, like in the paint, like he, he was just like the kind of guy that like, if his hands were on the ball, like he wasn't going to get like blocked or like stripped. He would just like find a way to, to find daylight, um, and like get a good shot up. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was just, uh, he was a genius in that way. Like, right. Where you're like, what is he, what is he really good at? Um, but like, if you actually watched him closely, you were like, oh, this dude is like so so critical to what we, what, yeah. with that team yeah. yeah yeah and obviously his defense you know like um incredibly mobile for being like a six seven like 250 or however uh big he was guy yeah um really quick feet like able you know like regularly like guarded scotty pippen um just crazy and uh yeah um Man, what a team. What a team. All right, man, listen, I know you have some time restrictions, so um, this has been awesome. Thanks for, you know, talking here for a few minutes today. You know, it was a lot of fun for me. I think not only, you know, did it give me something really awesome to look forward to to doing today, this week, but hopefully maybe it helped out someone else listening in the audience to take their mind off things for a bit. So thank you. Can't wait to do it again real soon. And thank you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a, uh, a little, uh, you know, a little refuge in these times um, and uh, happy to take my mind off of um, everything else yeah. going on in the entire world. Well, we have a lot of great stuff lined up here in the coming weeks, months, whatever it is. The OTL has got you covered. So stay safe, man. Stay focused. Stay inside. And I will talk to you real soon. All right. All right, man. You too. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that. My name is Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at us at OnTheLine underscore pod. Find us on Instagram, email us any of your thoughts or questions to onthelinepod at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Have a great week. Stay safe, and we will talk to you real soon.